Welcome to Great Ideas, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson. The idea that men and women are different is pretty baked into our culture, from rhymes about sugar and spice and all things nice, to the notion that we're from entirely different planets, Mars and Venus in particular. Many of us these days are also familiar with the most obvious manifestation of the gender divide in our politics. Women tend to vote for Democrats more, men lean toward Republicans. It would seem that the emphasis on equality in our society, especially in recent decades, would over time iron out some of those differences, some of those surface differences, at least as far as work and legal status are concerned. But a new study from the Survey Center on American Life suggests that the differences in the ways men and women live their lives in this country, the way we spend our time and interact with each other, and yes, engage in politics, are actually growing. This isn't just about men and women migrating to different political parties. It's about an increasing divide in the way we think, how we do things in our leisure time, and what we value. And of course, the divide in our politics is not surprising, given all of these other growing gaps. One of the authors of that study is Dr. Daniel Cox, a previous guest on the show and the director of the Center on American Life at the American Enterprise Institute. Dr. Cox's work is frequently featured in The Atlantic, CNN, and The Washington Post, along with other outlets. It was just written up. This particular survey was just written up in The New York Times. And it's a pleasure to have you back on Great Ideas. It's great to be here motivated you to take this very broad-based look at some of these differences, what you call the growing gender divide in American life. This, this isn't all about politics. You include politics in here, but it, you, were, you were really taking a much deeper dive into the ways that Americans live and how, and how the, the differences in, in how we live are increasingly driven by gender. Yeah, so the, the motivation here was really to, to understand the divergent experiences that men and women have and how this affects their behavior, how they think about relationships, their aspirations, their goals for life, and even how even their, their sort of basic interests, whether it's video games um, or books or politics, right? We see really sig significant divides here. And a lot of what we want to do is just sort of catalog these differences, look at them, and then look at it across generation and among some other subgroups that are really of interest. Because we know some of this stuff is changing. And so we really just want to get a handle of that. One of the first things that jumps out here is a, is a clever subhead you have in your study. It says, most young men have few or no female friends. So the, kind of a two-part question here. There's a continued theme throughout your findings, that there are differences between younger Americans and older Americans and how these gender differences manifest. And so I was wondering if you could touch on that, and then particularly on this finding that young men don't have female friends. What is up with that? Yeah, so I think one of the, the really interesting trends, and it's it's had a large number of, of consequences, both, you know, seen and unforeseen, is the declining rates of marriage, right? Like Americans are less likely to be married today. They're getting married older. But one of the, the sort of results of that or consequences of that is that you are spending a lot of, particularly young people are spending less time with people of the opposite sex, 
right? We, we know that, that people are dating less. We know that people spend less free time uh, socializing in person. But, but because marriage rates are declining, people are getting later, focusing on their career, pursuing their own, own interests, that there's sort of just less experiences in, in dating and in getting engaging with people of the opposite sex, whether it's in platonic or romantic ways. And so I think that's a huge problem, right? You, we have less opportunities to get to, to know people with very different perspectives, very different experiences. And we're, we're, it's impossible to, to look at the debate around abortion now and not realize that there's a lot that people overall, but men in particular, don't know about women's reproductive health, right? We, we, there's these very obvious ways this, this stuff plays out. And I think it's really unfortunate that that these patterns uh, are, are occurring and seem to be increasing that there's there's been a lot of evidence that having relationships with people of the opposite sex is is really uh, good at a sort of provides people with a, a more sophisticated worldview and understanding of, of the dynamics and you know, experiences that people have based on their gender. And we know there's still really critical differences, whether it's in the workplace whether it's sort of societal expectations, things around body image. We know women, men and women have different experiences. And I think being exposed to that, whether you're a man or a woman, is really helpful and actually makes our engagement with each other less fraught, with, whether, again, whether it's based on the friendship or in romantic. Well, the reason that I wanted to bring this subhead, this aspect of your study up first, and I suspect maybe it's it's the reason it's it's the first kind of slice of this that appears in your study is that one of the overarching points that emerges from your study is first of all there's a divide here there is a real divide a mars venus type type divide men and women do behave and think and and interact very differently and you can kind of show that in your data but the 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 other theme that comes out is that divide is growing i mean it's obviously right in the in the title of your survey, but the, the, the ways in which generationally, as, as we see kind of the millennials and Gen Z, and I don't, I don't know what we're calling all the even younger generations these days, but these differences are growing. And so whatever effects we're seeing today, we can expect that these effects will project forward to an even greater degree and may dominate, dominate American life even more in the next 10 or 20 years. Is that, is that one of the things that you're, you're seeing here? Yeah, no, I think you, you see it in a, a number of different places, but particularly politics, right? Like where there's been a lot of focus, how working class men have been migrating towards the GOP and then Trump sort of supercharged that trend supposedly, but it, it, it long predated him that there had been this, this move with increasing voting for Republican candidates and embracing more conservative views on a whole range of particularly cultural issues. But the opposite trend is even happening much more quickly where college educated women are becoming much more democratic. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're seeing overall, if you look back to like the mid nineties, women have been trending more democratic in their identity and their voting preferences, but college educated women at one point were only about 12% of the Democratic Party in the late 90s, and now they're 28%, right? Just, that's just a huge change. And their sort of unique perspectives of worldview are, and priorities are, are shifting what the Democrat, Democratic Party stands for and the issues that it advocates for. Right. And so you, you do see some of this. So kind of point one is there's a divide. Point two is 
the divide is more pronounced among younger people and this aspect of it that there, there's less bridging among younger people, right? So you, you have fewer interactions between men and women of, of, in terms of close relationships, which means that opportunities to lessen the divide are, are fewer. And that means that we're going to see these differences play out as these generations age into our society even more. And then there's this third aspect where you you touch on the, the politics aspect of this, but the politics is a layer that's built on these kind of deeper drivers of, of people's behavior. So for example, you point out early in your survey result uh, article here that in terms of people's pastimes, practices, and pursuits, what we do with our time, there are some big differences between men and women. And some of it is reading versus playing video games versus other pastimes. You have a great graphic here that college-educated women are the most likely to read for pleasure. 50% say that they've read a book for pleasure in the last week if they're women with college degrees. Men with no college education, that's 15%, right? Three times less. And you, you see, you, you can then see how that plays into the ways we communicate politically, the kinds of language we use, who appeals to whom. So what jumped out to you out of your findings about how men and women are spending their time? Yeah, so that's totally right. And if you look at whether it's playing video games or, or even watching pornography, like men are more likely to, to do these things. One of the things that we dig into, into this in this poll, but it's been kind of an underlying trend that informs a lot of this work is the the social decline among men, particularly working class men, but but men we're seeing, whether it's close friendships or having a robust network of, of social support, it's plummeted among men over, over the last couple of decades. And so one of the, the downstream impacts that has is they're less likely to engage in a whole variety of civic social and, and religious activities, whereas women are not. Women tend to, to have navigated this, this sort of social decline much better. Partly that's due to their higher rates of probably religious engagement. They're actually more likely to be in college or trying to attend college. And so like that matters too. There's, there's a lot of social benefits of having a college education. So I, I think that one of the things these results kind of suggest is that men are navigating this in sort of the new social and cultural world, much less well than women, I think. And, and it's part of the reasons we're seeing some of the political blowback uh, occur among men, right? They're, they're increasingly dissatisfied with the new status quo and for good reason, right? That the, there are fewer good job opportunities. Education seems kind of out of reach or maybe not worth it for them. And they are increasingly lonely. And they're they're not dating, they're not having sex, right? It's it's sort of you're sort of seeing it in all these different facets of their life, and that's sort of a, a huge issue. So I think like that is something that these these some of these results kind of allude to. Yeah, I I want to pick up on one aspect of what you just said, and it's something we just don't talk about in society very much. It's 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 just it's a, it's taboo, but it's widespread. We don't talk about pornography and we don't talk about 
the profound change wrought on our society by the prevalence of pornography, which is a, a heading in your study, and the availability of pornography online. I mean, it's not going too far as to say that the internet has profoundly changed American and world society. The back of pornography, the demand for online pornography, and what you show in your study is that there's certainly a correlation, maybe not a causality. We don't know which way that out, but there is a correlation between, as you say, a lot of these and pornography and, and pornography use. And that's, again, it kind of goes under that. This is an underlying driver of what we see ultimately in politics. And you do see these incredible rates of dissatisfaction and a sense that things have gone fundamentally wrong in the world and in America. If you look back at the last, I don't even tell you this as a survey and an opinion research expert, but if you look at, for example, the last 50 years of Gallup level of long track that Gallup has shown over the last 50 years for Americans who say that something in this country is, is off on the wrong track, it's 68%. More than two-thirds of us think that things are, things are going fundamentally wrong. It seems to me that our political reactions and our political dissatisfaction and the way we have been flipping and flopping between the parties in midterm and presidential cycles over the last 20 years, that is downstream from this sense of deep dissatisfaction, alienation, and, and loneliness that you point out here. And it's just a fascinating link to pornography and pornography among men. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot to unpack here, so I, I may take this in a couple of different directions. On the, on the pornography thing, it's a, a really common factor that folks point to for explaining men's lower rates of, of relationships or, or, or sexual satisfaction, right? Like all these sort of negative consequences, high rates of loneliness, right? Like people point to too much, too much time playing video games, too much access to pornography. And we certainly show that the relationship between pornography use and loneliness is pretty high. There's a, it's correlated with a lot of negative outcomes. So people who use pornography more often tend to have lower self-confidence, are lonelier, or less satisfied with their sex lives, right? We don't know if it's causing it, but again, these things are moving together. So there's that. But I don't think that is a driver of a lot of these trends, right? I think that pornography is an, an increased video game use is the result. I think a lot of it's happening out of boredom. People it's not a knowing, symptom, not a cause. Exactly. People not knowing what to do with their time, having less structure in their day. And so they're, they're kind of grabbing at the first easy thing there that is stimulating to them. So I think like that's kind of what's happening there. In, in terms of the technology that I think has had a, a much more pernicious, pernicious effect on our relationships, I think online dating is, is terrible for a lot of reasons. For one, I think we can acknowledge that the dating and relationship landscape is, is changing dramatically in a lot of ways, perhaps in, in most ways that are really, really good, healthy for our society that we can uh, applaud and, and be grateful for. They, many of them came much too late. Many of them have not gone far enough, but it is changing. And so I think for particularly for young men who are trying to navigate this, this environment, they're trying to navigate this in this sort of new environment, right? Where they're sort of saying, okay, there are, there are new rules, there's new ways to approach. One of the, the problems, you know, 
in, in terms of, of how we're engaging with each other and the, and the method when we communicate and, and connect with each other is that a lot of that's moved online, you know, particularly during the pandemic. And dating online is particularly problematic, right? Like dating is, it's almost designed to elicit awkward interactions and separating it, that kind of communication from a shared social context is, is pretty problematic. So I think online dating is, is responsible for a, a lot of the challenges that men are having and women are having in terms of making connections and, and connecting with each other, because it's no longer that we're meeting people in church or at school uh, or through mutual friends or family members. It's we're meeting strangers online, right? So it's, we're not dating people in our, in our real life social circle We're we're dating people we would never have perhaps opportunity to meet in real life. And, and in one sense, that's great, right? You have many more potential people you could be dating, but something that's a problem is like you may not have much in common, right? You may not have shared experiences to draw from, any, any kind of shared context. And these are, are situations where you want there to be a, a lot of, of trust, right? Trust really matters when you're getting to know someone in a, in a dating context. But as dating's moved online, I think it's become a lot more difficult. It's felt more transactional. I think ultimately uh, it's a lot less enjoyable because of, of how we're doing it. And I think that we haven't looked at that in terms of the way it's kind of hampering social relationships, whether again, they're platonic or romantic. Well, that's a thread that I want to pick up on this, this sense of alienation, loneliness, displacement, and how it's more prevalent among men than women. And the way you pair it with some of the aspects of, of differences in, in how we find higher meaning in the world. But we have to take a very quick break on WKXL and Great Ideas. So we'll be right back with much more of this fascinating conversation in just a moment. Welcome back to Great Ideas, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and we're talking with Daniel Cox. He is the director of the Center on American Life at the American Enterprise Institute, and he's just completed a really fascinating survey about the growing gap between men and women and how we live our lives, what we value, how we spend our time. And of course, that all has consequences for public life and politics and American society in general. Din, you were just talking a moment ago about some of the aspects of online culture. You included online dating and pornography usage and video game playing, and you were connecting to the sense of loneliness and, and isolation that's particularly pronounced among men. It's, it was very interesting to me that you paired that set of findings right back to back with the set of findings about religion and men and women thinking about suffering in the world. And I was wondering if, if that connection was intentional in that Again, you do find some differences here in where men and women are finding higher meaning and, and a sense of, of purpose in their lives. Yeah, and, and one of the, the key gaps in American life has been traditionally faith and religion, right? That women 
are more likely to believe in God. They're more likely to organize their activities around sort of community, religious community involvement. They, they attend religious services more regularly than men. And I think the things we're seeing, this is one of the few places in the, in the study where men and women are coming closer together, right? The trends are, are sort of connecting where young women and young men actually have similar levels of religious engagement. They're, they're falling among, among both genders. So I think that is something that if you care about having a vibrant religious culture in, in the U.S., a lot of people do. But even if you don't, right, there's a lot of social, uh, cultural, and civic benefit that religion provides American society. So even if you aren't religious yourself, like there's a lot of, of positive social outcomes that religion provides. And so if you if you look at the fact that women and men are both declining here, that is, is kind of concerning. Like the, the broader context for all this is young people growing up today have, particularly those raised in, in middle and upper middle class households, have way more opportunity than previous generations. The, the culture, the ethos is that you can do anything you want. You, you have the capacity to enter any kind of career, right? There's, there's sort of no limitations. At least that's, I think that's a, a lot of the kind of the, the sort of cultural expectations that, that we put on young people. But the, the downside of that is that we're missing structure, right? If you look at the way young people are living today versus where they're, when they were living 30, 40 years ago, people in their, in their mid, mid-20s were married. They may have attended uh, religious services regularly, right? They were active in a local civic society, right? That is incredibly different than living by yourself in a, an expensive apartment in some urban metro area, right? And working 50, 60 hours a week, right? Those are incredibly different experiences. And there's nothing wrong with either one of them, if that's what you want to do. But one, the structure of the way you're living affords you many more opportunities to create social connection, something that we we know that we need, whereas the other makes it a lot more difficult. And so I think like, we have to have that understanding, right? Like, there's nothing in, perhaps intrinsically beneficial about religion or marriage, right? Like that. But the way these institutions have been built, they have been structured in such a way that they provide a lot of, of opportunity for social outlets and, and connection, something that we know is incredibly valuable. Hmm. I This isn't the way that you structured your report out on your survey, but I, I just, because you go next to uh, politics and uh, party affiliation, and I want to get there because that, that is an important aspect of what we're seeing. But I just can't help myself hopscotching around a little bit so that I can literally pair the sacred with the profane. I know we went from the from the profane to the sacred a moment ago, talking about pornography and then going right to church. <laughs> Maybe that does make some sense, actually. But I'd like to now skip back from talking about religion and, and thinking about suffering in the world and a, a, that sense of social connection to talking about sex. Again, not something you normally talk about a ton on, on podcasts, especially podcasts about politics and, and public policy, but you have a very interesting and important section in, in your survey research here about sex and relationships. And what are you finding here? Because again, there's a major gender divide and, and one that's growing. Yeah. So I think one of the, the headlines here is that, and we have a whole chart in it, was that young women have really different approaches to sexuality and, and physical attraction than 
older women, young men or older. We found that only 56% of young women said that they were exclusively attracted to men. So a lot of women, they have more flexible ideas about what physical attraction means, who they would maybe even consider dating. Whereas for, for young men growing up in the same kind of culture, 75% were, are exclusively attracted to, to women only. But the other side of that is that actually the, the, the binary nature of physical attraction among men is evident on either side. So men are both more likely to be attracted to exclusively women and exclusively men. So there are more men exclusively attracted to men, sort of uh, same-sex uh, attraction, than there is for young women. Only 4% of young women are exclusively attracted to someone of the same sex. So it's a, it's a really significant change. And I think one that we're kind of seeing play out in a variety of different contexts. But one of the things that we see, and I think one of the reasons there's been so much debate around a lot of these issues is that we're kind of navigating this like sort of traditional understanding of sex and sexuality with an entirely sort of new, more flexible approach. And, and I think that's sort of that's sort of playing out in our politics and in our culture. If you look at a whole variety of, of different issues around gender roles and, and social mores, like young women tend to be most supportive of changes, whether it's men staying home with, to, to be the primary caregiver to their kids, more women serving in the military. It's young women who are kind of leading leading the charge on a lot of these issues, or at least in terms of their support. I again, it's it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. I think to draw the connection between sort of the public sphere and the, the most intimate private sphere, which, which you're doing here. But uh, again, it, it does seem to me like there is that, that straight line, at least I, I think I see it, between some of the dissatisfaction, some of the differences, some of the mixed expectations that we're seeing in, in the private sphere and how people are spending their, their time and their lives. And the 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 connection we then see over to politics and public policy. Another one of those interesting connection points is this section you have on masculinity, gender, and changing gender roles in society, and sort of the the, the expectation that particularly men have of appearing masculine. Now, to me, it would seem like in the culture, we have a culture today that's more accepting of men who are not in the John Wayne mold, so to speak. But on the other hand, there's, there's, you're finding that, that there's still an awfully strong streak of expectation in American culture of traditional images of masculinity and expectations among men. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot uh, to unpack on the, in this one too. One of the things we were really interested trying to understand is how much traditional notions of masculinity were still still alive, right? Was this still something that was a lot of men were aspiring to be, right? Did they have role models that they that they saw as being traditionally masculine or embracing masculine ideas or kind of a, the, a physicality that they thought they wanted to, to emulate? And for young men, I think that they we're seeing increasing number that they don't care. They don't necessarily care about being viewed as, as traditionally masculine. They they don't, many more don't consider themselves to be very masculine, which is a significant change, a break from the past where, where older men are much more likely to do so. At the same time, 
younger men are much more likely to say that they've been criticized for, for not being masculine. About four in 10 young men said they were criticized growing up because they weren't manly enough. And we even asked folks to, to talk about those experiences in their own words. And a lot of uh, the responses were, were, were stuff you might expect. So one guy said that he liked to, to bake and cook with his mom. And he, so he spent a lot of time doing that. And his uncle would frequently criticize him as not engaged in sort of more masculine pursuits. Another guy said that he was not, he was on the smaller side. And so he was, he was criticized for being kind of more feminine or having more feminine characteristics and not being aggressive or assertive enough. And, and so it's a lot of the, these experiences, and, but there's a common thread through them all, right? Whether it's in sort of their behavior, demeanor, or even their, their physical uh, appearance or size, men are, are experiencing a, a lot of negative feedback for that. And I, I think it's having a significant impact on how they understand masculinity. One, one of the challenge now for, for men is like how to navigate, like sort of, there's, I think, a, a helpful or at least informative conversation about the bad aspects, the negative aspects of masculinity. And I think what societally we have not done as well is raise up sort of the positive aspects of masculinity. Sort of like, okay, we, we understand there are certain things that we're talking over I mean, in meetings, manspread, man, manspreading, mansplaining, these things are bad. Like we, we understand that men taking up too much time, too much air, being too aggressive, right? Like, again, there's a lot of examples for ways in which kind of masculinity quote unquote, masculine behavior is bad. Are there examples of where there's a type of masculinity that is positive, that, that we could raise up or, or, or serve as an example? Because I think without that, you, you leave folks kind of, you leave men kind of like hanging out, particularly young men who are maybe raised in single, uh, single parent households, predominantly by their, by their moms, right? That we know the increasing number of men are being raised in those types of households. So having good examples, whether it's in politics, in sports, in academia, right? Like that sort of saying, this is what it means, right? To be uh, a man, right? Like whether it's being a, an attentive, caring partner, um, a nurturing father, right? I think that we haven't done as, as good a, a job there, I think, as, as we could. And so I, we, we do, we are, again, at, at this, this sort of juncture of change. And I think, again, that's why, why so much of these conversations are kind of fraught. So we don't know where we're going to land. We've sort of jumped into the air, or at least, at least some some significant number of Americans have, but we don't quite know where we're going to land. I want to start to connect the dots over to the political aspects of this, and we skated over the kind of well-worn fact that women have tended to affiliate much more with the Democratic Party in general. Not not everyone, but as as a general trend, men with Republicans. There was a particular sort of political pop psychology notion that was very current during the Trump presidency and in the Trump campaign, that there was a certain amount of social alienation and economic alienation that was particularly afflicting men, men who had traditionally worked in manufacturing jobs, rust belt jobs, and especially among non-college educated men. The idea here was these men are feeling disaffected, they're feeling dissatisfied, and that Donald Trump, whatever 
other things there were about him. Somehow for a billionaire plutocrat, he was able to tap into this sense of dissatisfaction, the sense of alienation, the sense of, hey, there used to be a, a place for you in the world that was that was very clear and very comfortable. Now there isn't. And that's somehow the Democrats fault. And I can make things the way they were. Hence the make America great again. Well, great for whom type vibe. And there was something kind of comfortable about that narrative. And it felt right. It certainly felt right. But of course, what you look at as a social scientist is, well, what do the data say? Is that, is that story, does it fit the facts and, and the survey data that you unearth? I was particularly interested in what you found about the connection between personal satisfaction and satisfaction with country. Because in reading through that section, it didn't seem to me that there, that, that line between how dissatisfied you felt in your own life and how dissatisfied you felt politically about the direction of the country was so straight and so clear. What did you find and, and what is your thinking about that connection that's been so discussed in the news? Yeah, I think you hit on something really important there. Trump, if anything, was an expert scapegoater, right? Like he was very, very effective in identifying places where a significant number of of the public felt they had been abused, lied to, mistreated, left behind. And then he was able to point the finger at certain groups or institutions that had let them down. In the case of, of men, particularly working class men, there was, a, there was a, a significant amount of truth to what they were experiencing and, and the, the narrative that Trump was spinning that the institutions that had had supported them were, a lot of them were in decline. Unions, which not only advocated for their economic interests, served as really important social hubs as well for a lot of, of working class men. The decline of religion is another, again, place where both men and women, but men in particular, uh, had a really important social outlet. A lot of the decline of these sort of civic societies, whether it's the Elk Club, the 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 veterans associations, like the, the decline of all these places really meant that men had a, a lot, many fewer places to go to connect, to, to feel like they belonged. And so what happened was that a lot of those folks then jumped on the Trump bandwagon because he, he gave them something to belong to, right? Like you're part of this political movement of, of people who've been left behind They're the media, the government doesn't care about you, but I do. And so he was very effective in that. One of the really interesting things in, in the poll that we find is an increasing number of men saying that men are being discriminated against in American society. Mm. And I, I think a lot of those folks, if you ask them in an extended conversation, well, are, are, are they being sexually harassed in the workplace? Are they less likely to get a job because they're a man? I think a lot of them might agree that women who, for the record, do face much, much more, you know, discrimination. I mean, this is not uh, up for debate. We, we know this, but I think the, the idea is that sort of the, the cultural, cultural attitude changes have kind of left them behind. They kind of have to apologize for their beliefs now or, or change them. Institutions have not reached out to them and, and tried to help them. 
So I, I, this feeling that American society, as it is being kind of reconstituted, is 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 so in a way that it's sort of leaving them out in the cold. And I think that's what that means, right? When they say American society is is discriminating against men, it's like so. No, the 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 societal arrangements that we're kind of renegotiating are no longer advantaging them in, in the way that it had. And in fact, sort of the, a lot of the economic ones are 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 demonstrably worse for them, right? The economic arrangements, they have less power. The jobs require, whether you're, you're an Uber driver or an Amazon warehouse worker, are that non-union jobs, non-regular schedules, right? It gets, it's, it's not the same as working, you know, a nine to five shift in, in the mill where that was unionized, that you had, you worked with the same guys for 40 years. Another piece of this to get to bring the sort of gender issue back into, into the mix. I did some focus groups a number of years ago among white working class men. And we talked about a lot of stuff. We, we went through a, a lot of issues and we talked about politics. One of the stories that has stayed with me because this guy, it had clearly been something that happened a long time ago, but it, he had resonated with him and just stayed with him. He worked in a, in a garage. He was a mechanic and it was I think only, only four other guys worked there. And for a while, it was just all men, right? Like, and so the, right, the, the kind of culture of the place and the, the way they engaged with each other was one might expect, right? There's some sort of a locker room element to it. One of the things they had in the garage was a, like a, a sort of a racy calendar sort of featuring women in bathing suits or whatever. And they hired, the owner hired a female receptionist. And she objected to the calendar. And so the calendar came down. And this guy, right, it seems like a very small thing, right? You're, you're making a very small accommodation that, that made someone in your office, on your workplace uncomfortable. But he, for him, it was a kind of this really significant injustice that the, the majority of the, the people that work there, the mechanics all were in favor of keeping this up. And he had to make accommodation for this, this new person who just, just arrived and was already making them change kind of long-standing practices or aesthetics. And I think that's part of, of what's going on, right? Like these, these kind of, which might seem on the outside, kind of small concessions or accommodations are being viewed through the lens of, I'm having to change my entire way of being in the world and I don't like it. Resonates for me. It does kind of connect the the what I characterized before as sort of the media story, connecting the sense of alienation and change and dislocation, particularly among men, particularly particularly among non college educated men, to sort of the rise of Trump and Trumpism and that particular strain of populism, most especially, <clears throat> excuse me, the Republican Party. I, I think the way you characterize that actually does does make the connection a, a little bit more, for me anyway, you can kind of see in the data and the, the survey results that you present here, this sense that things are changing, that there that it is hard, that, that men do struggle to identify in current culture. How do you express positive aspects of ma masculinity? And how do you define those? How do you define them in a way that's not offensive to women? Is it physical strength, then deny that that's an aspect of femininity as well. And it's it's become hard and challenging. And you can kind of see how all of these forces have come together to express a certain kind of politics that we're seeing play out, especially in the last five years. I, In just the minute or so we have left, 
Is there anything that most jumped out to you, that most surprised you from this work or that you want to follow up on and, and look at next? So one of the things that I've been really struck by in doing some research is the issue of confidence, particularly for men. Having done some you know, preliminary interviews and, 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 and talk with folks, I've seen some pushback among men on this. We're saying, well, it's kind of ridiculous to be, expect me to be confident in everything I do, that it, masculinity and confidence should not be one and the same. You, you don't need to ask for directions. You don't need to ask for help because you're confident, because you can handle it. And I think a lot of particularly younger men are kind of reevaluating this notion that they need to be assertive and approach women. They need to be the person that knows how to handle these things. When in fact, a, a lot of them have deep feelings of insecurity just in general, because we all do. I think that's, that's a huge problem, the, sort of the confidence problem and how that has been linked to, to notions of masculinity and something that we may need to, to rethink. You don't need to pretend to know what you're talking about about subjects you don't know, right? Something that men are well known to do. And I think that's sort of tied up in, in that kind of problematic notion of, of confidence and masculinity. Hey, talking about subjects I don't know a lot about, that's my whole business model here on Great Ideas. But I'm very fortunate to have people who really do know what they're talking about, like you, Dan Cox. Thanks so much for being on Great Ideas. Oh, it's my pleasure. 